Welcome to the I Work For Him Power Pod. I'm Michael Miracle, producer for I Work For Him, the voice of the faith and work movement. We are on mission to transform the workplace of every Christian into a mission field. Each quick listening power pod is designed with you in mind and jam-packed with kingdom resources to help you connect your faith and work. How will this impact your workplace? Let's find out right now. Truth. We're told by the world today that truth is fluid. That truth is what it is to you, but maybe not to me. Truth is something solid, but something not something solid, but something squishy and mushy and feels good, but it really can't be relied on. But I know the truth, and he set me free. For decades now, we've allowed God to be removed from the discourse of this nation and the discourse of this world. As Christ followers, we've taken a backseat in conversations of influence and merely find ourselves reacting to cultural change instead of being part of the cultural change. How do we change that? How do we bring back God into, how do we bring God back into every conversation? Today, we welcome radio talk show host, Carmen LaBerge. She's back on iWork for him. No, that's right. We never got to actually have you on iWork for him, but I feel like we did because we spent time in studio before. She's an author. She's a speaker. She's the host of a daily radio program broadcast across the country called The Reconnect with Carmen LaBerge, where she focuses on bringing God back into every conversation of everyday news and events. Carmen LaBerge, welcome to iWork for Hey, Fran. Jim. Thank you so much. You have this chapter that made me giggle out loud, and I don't giggle easily, but because I take things way too seriously sometimes. But you've had this whole chapter called the Miss Pageant, kind of counteracting fake news. You talk about misnomer, misinformation, mischaracterization, misunderstood, misguided, misdirected, uh, misled, and finally misrepresentation. How do we, you know, what do we do when we meet these misses on the street? Well, first of all, so your listeners will understand what we're talking about. Um, imagine literally a beauty pageant. So, you know, these are like, I, I, I see these pageant contestants. They're actually imposters. They are, um, they are really not, um, authentically, uh, representing the truth of who God is, but we are very attracted to them. Uh, and, and we are drawn to them. Uh, and they, they vie for our attention and our affection and even our allegiance in the culture today. Every generation has their own set of imposters. I think that misnomer, um, maybe just to describe her quickly, um, uh, is the one that's sort of the absolutely right out right out of the shotgun, the easiest to understand, because we all fall into this. We all use God's name in ways that are casual and even profane. Um, and yet we don't, uh, we don't really recognize that in our culture um, because it happens so frequently. And we live in a culture that has so profaned the name of God that we don't actually see it. And we certainly don't call each other out on it as Christians. And so, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to turn people into um, uh, the, the language police out there in the culture, but I, but I am seeking to um, heighten our own internal awareness uh, when it happens. And so if in a text message or on a billboard or in, you know, in, in something that I'm hearing on, on television, somebody uses the, uh, the three-letter OMG, right? Now, in most cases, they're not using that uh, to honor the Lord our God. And so they are, at some level, taking God's name in vain. They are, in, at some level, profaning the name of God. And God is actually fiercely fiercely interested in his name. 
Um, and it's something even the Bible talks about him being jealous for his name. Uh, and, and he wants to do things for his name's sake. I mean, there's a lot of name conversation uh, in the Bible when it comes to who God is. God's name is so sacred that the Jews wouldn't even speak it. It was known as the ineffable tetemogram. So we say Yahweh um, as Christians. Jews would not even, they wouldn't even say that. Like that would just, that, that would be profaning the name. You just wouldn't do that. So when it happens in the culture, when people, you know, say GD or they say OMG, we could march down the list. What, what is my reaction and response? My reaction and response needs to be a very quick uh, acknowledgement to God himself. So I'm doing this in my mind in, a, in an unspoken prayer, right? And I'm saying, God, I saw it and I heard it. I saw it and I heard it. I'm acknowledging, I'm acknowledging that I know as your person that I caught that. I am, and I am sorry. I am, I am, I am sorry on behalf of the culture of which I'm a part that your name is so casually misused. Misnomer, on the other hand, is very actively seeking to engage, particularly the next generation, in openly and actively profaning the name of God. Uh, and so I think we gotta call Misnomer out every time, uh, we encounter her, but I think that oftentimes the call out for us as Christians is to God, acknowledging to Him that we recognize that His name is being used used casually or profanely uh, in the culture of which we are a part. You know, people are sort of familiar with the concept of a culture war, and they imagine that the culture war is taking place in some arena that they're not in. They, they imagine that the culture war is taking place in academia or in the media or in the political sphere. The, the actual culture war is being waged in every heart and mind. And so the culture war is being waged over our kids and over our parents and over our neighbors and over us. And so um, I don't think that we can suggest that we are immune or safe or, um, or moving forward and cultivating you know, our, our own sort of small Christian culture in the midst of a larger, uh, a larger culture. No, we are the culture cultivators. And so we need to be people who are possessed by the mind of Christ in such a way, we've actually so thoroughly cultivated the mind of Christ on the matters of the day that we can literally, on his behalf, as his representatives, speak the mind of Christ into a culture that is dying to know the way and the truth and the life. In your book, Speak the Truth, you mentioned several times that Jesus didn't speak to issues. Jesus spoke to people. What's the difference? Well, I think that if people, if your listeners just consider that sentence, like what does it mean to address a person instead of addressing an issue? If we just pause even for a moment and consider that, our entire cultural engagement changes. Um, and so when, I, uh, when I'm encountering a person who I recognize is presenting um, a view of the world and therefore advocacy on issues that's just completely, utterly contrary to uh, to God's revealed word and, and who God is and who we are as his image bearers. Um, I, I literally, I allow myself to see that person as a prisoner of war. I mean, I, I like seek to have God's actual perspective on the status of that human soul. And, and they are trapped. And so um, I'm not angry at a prisoner of war. That's the wrong affect. The right affect is to, uh, is to be empathetic toward them, to, to actually pity them. Now, I will just recognize here that um, 
most of the folks who are the cultural elites of our day um, don't really appreciate pity. They don't really want to be pitied by those of us who they think don't actually know much. But here's the reality. They are seeing reality, and they are advocating for a reality that's actually a lie. And so if I see the truth, I'm obligated, I'm absolutely obligated to share uh, the truth with other people, even, even those who are trapped um, in the context of a lie. So, um, you know, so getting directly uh, to your question, how did Jesus do it? Jesus, first of all, you know, he had the eyes of the Father on everyone. And he also had an eternal perspective. Did he live in the midst of the temporal world? Absolutely. Did he confront uh, the same issues that we confront and face every day? Yes, absolutely. But he dealt with people. He absolutely dealt with people. Um, he met them where they were. The walk to Emmaus is a good example here. Or the woman at the well. Um, he met people where they were. He allowed them to, um, you know, express uh, what was on their own heart and mind, and then he reframed the conversation from an eternal perspective. You and I, as the fishers of men, one of the ways to think about that is that we're supposed to be anglers. So are you looking for an angle into every conversation based on the people involved in the conversation in order that you can represent the viewpoint of God uh, to people today? That's our calling. That's what we're in the world to do. Where do we get training like that, though? I mean, that's, I mean, your book is a great place to start. Speak the truth, how to bring God back in every conversation. But it's one of those things where you really need to practice. This is a practicing thing. Where did you learn to be so good at it? Hmm. So um, I think that the the practicing thing is exactly right. Um, And I would challenge people even just to, um, you know, if you're a person who actually gets a physical newspaper or has access to one, I mean, you you can go into like any coffee shop and they've got a whole stack of newspapers that other people have already purchased and you can just grab and read. So um, just actually pick up the newspaper and go to every section. Don't just stick with one section and say, okay, what's God's perspective on what's being talked about in this section of the paper? What's God's perspective on the obituaries? What's God's perspective on um, on the comics? What's God's perspective on the front page or the international section? And there's a lot of places, Jim, where the best we can do is to pray, pray the news. Um, but if I'm praying the news, my perspective on the people engaged in that story is completely transformed. I no longer see them as an issue either here or halfway around the world that needs to be solved or funded or bailed out. I see them as people um, who, you know, for whom God sent Jesus Christ. And that changes my perspective on, um, on the way that I talk about and even seek to engage uh, in, in, in bringing relief and peace and hope uh, to each and every one of those situations. Speak the truth, how to bring God back into every conversation. And Carmen, what I love is in chapter 10, you start telling some stories of people you've had conversations with. And I want to start with you sharing the story of Rick and Elmer. Yeah, so Rick and Elmer um, are guys who I met um, at the rescue mission in Washington, D.C. I was uh, at an evangelical leaders meeting that was actually taking place at the rescue mission. And so um, I got there a little early and I had my... I was going to go from there to the airport, so I got out of the cab, and I have my coffee and my suitcase and my briefcase, and, you know, I've got way too many things in my hand, um, and I'm early. And so instead of going inside to hang out with the people that I was going to be with, the suits that I was going to be with all day, I thought, well, I'll just sit out here with these guys and have a cup of coffee. And um, needless to say, um, at first, that was just not quite what they um, had in mind or expected. And that would be one of the things I would encourage your listeners to do, surprise people, like be the, be the Christian who actually surprises people by engaging them in conversations. Um, and so 
I, you know, I asked, hey, can I, you know, sit down with you guys and have coffee? And they were, um, you know, they were very gracious. And, um, and, and as I sat down, uh, Elmer actually folded the newspaper that they had had open on the table and he folded it in front of him. And I said, oh, you know, no, don't let me interrupt your conversation. What are you guys talking about? And he unfolded it. And, uh, this was in the midst of the presidential campaign. And he said, well, we were talking about him. And that would be Donald Trump. And let's just say that both of these guys had lots of thoughts and opinions about, uh, the politics of the United States, and certainly as residents of D.C., issues that uh, that others across the country might not just initially think about. As the conversation unfolded, um, and I made the unthinking comment about voting, um, I became instantly aware that these are guys who are not going to vote. Um, they are ex-cons, and um, and they don't have a restored right to vote, even though they've paid their debt to society for, uh, you know, for whatever crimes they committed in the past. And so um, that led us into an entirely different conversation about incarceration and the reality of the justice system and, um, and their experience of the justice system versus mine, um, black men in the culture versus, you know, a, a, a white woman. Um, and so uh, as we talked, um, there was this one piercing moment when um, when Elmer is sharing about how um, you know he became a Christian when he was when he was incarcerated. He, these are both men of faith. They probably know the Bible better than most of us. They've had a lot of time to to soak in it. They've had a lot of time to um, to really consider the reality of redemption uh, and um, and how effective it is. These are men of peace in terms of their own personalities, but these are also men completely on the sidelines of, of every part of the culture today. And, um, and he looked at me and he said, uh, you know, the world changed a lot when I was on the inside, and he, was, and he was incarcerated for 12 years. And he said, but the world gives me no credit for all the ways that I changed. Mm. I just think, Jim, that... Um, the conversations that we need to be having as Christians go so far beyond the conversations that we are having now um, that we bear responsibility for the coarseness and the division in the culture because we're not actually being the ministers of reconciliation that we're called to be. And so, uh, you know, a, a thoroughgoing reform of the justice system and certainly dealing with the racial issues in our country, these are things that Christians need to be on the forefront of. We need a distinctively Christian revolution in this country uh, that actually begins to change the hearts and minds of people in order that we can bring real change to the culture. Yeah, and that tra- change is not going to, it's not going to be legislated. It's going to be a movement of God in the hearts and, and minds of Christ followers. And, and that's something that people need to realize. Politicians are not our saviors and but so many people think that's what it is i mean you talk issues all day long but you never once say hey and by the way this person's our savior i did not know um which now you know i'm gonna i'm gonna say this in jest i did not know that you could withhold some things and that's that's really the way i feel like some people are operating they're operating oh, as seen. if they have accepted jesus um to pay their penalty of of sin and death but they have not enthroned him as the lord of life they haven't actually given him their life to live um i didn't withhold anything i wouldn't know how to operate as a christian part-time or only in a partial way um and so i actually think that what I have, other people can have too. You just have to die, literally die to yourself. It's a Galatians 2.20 life, and let me tell you, it is, it's exhilarating. Hey, really quick, we've got a couple minutes left. Can you tell the story of Sarah? Oh, sure. 
Um, now, because I changed everybody's name. Okay, so... A, no, no, yeah, no, hard. that's good. So, yeah, so um, I met Sarah um, at church, and um, um, Sarah is young, and like a lot of young Christian women, um, thought she was going to be married and was kind of fixated on that, um, kind of obsessed with uh, obsessed with that subject matter. Um, and um, the Lord led me into a, a series of conversations with her that finally resulted in, literally over the back of the pew, me just, I mean, eyeballing her straight up and just saying, stop, stop, stop. Like, you're so obsessed with whoever this latest man is that you have completely forgotten who you are and and that you are a redeemed child of God, that you are in a relationship with God, that you are um, an image bearer. Um, you're, you know, you're so fixated on all these other things. So anyway, once I got her to stop and actually consider what was on her mind um, and to recognize that we'd been through a, a worship service where she couldn't remember what the sermon was about, like, it's, it, we're still in the sanctuary. Like, your mind is clearly on other things. Um, if at the end of the service you can't even remember what the sermon was about. So we started literally from there on a, on a conversation about trust and about the future um, and about what, uh, what life might look like if she would simply allow herself to focus and fixate on her own relationship with God and what he was doing instead of fixating on the possibility of a relationship with another man. Um, and so, um, you know, I, I really do think that we have to be bold in our conversations with one another as Christians, uh, and we also have to be um, both gentle and yet truthful in our conversations with the culture about the same subjects. You've been listening to I Work For Him with your hosts, Jim and Martha Brangenberg. We're Christ followers. Our workplace, it's our mission field, but ultimately, I work for him. Thank you for listening to the I Work For Him Power Pod with your hosts, Jim and Martha Brangenberg. Want more? Hear the full broadcast at IWorkForHim.com. Stay connected and receive power-packed content when you sign up for our blog at IWorkForHim.com or follow us on social media at IWorkForHim. And finally, if today's message inspired you, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast platform. Your review helps launch more workplace missionaries across the nation. That's at IWorkForHim and online, IWorkForHim.com.